Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad that you're here. Welcome to Wyoming Valley Church, and uh, thanks, Pastor Todd, for the uh, opportunity to uh, present, teach God's Word uh, again this morning. And thank you for your prayers for our family. We missed you uh, last week on um, New Year's Day. Peggy and I and our and Christy uh, left to go visit. You know a lot of our family, but you haven't met. Our youngest son, Travis, you will some point, I'm sure, but uh, he lives, they live in Ankeny, Iowa, which is a, uh, a suburb of Des Moines. We used to live in that town, and Peggy is originally from uh, northern Iowa, and so we made that trip. Uh, man, oh man, I've been making that trip ever since Peggy and I are dating days back in college because she's from Iowa and I'm from here, and that is a, that is a long drive. And uh, so we left New Year's Day, and then yeah, it was great to be able to spend time with Peggy, but also with Christy. Uh, because of our um, Iowa connections, then uh, Christy has in Ankeny that town. Again, it's a booming bedroom community of Des Moines. A lot of different um, uh, industry that's there, agriculture, but banking and insurance and all kinds of things. But also because of our background and so on, Christy has, as a missionary, has three supporting churches that are in that area. And so it's pretty important every year at the holidays for her, while she's home from Germany, that we make that trip. So uh, thanks for praying for us. We made it safely and avoided uh, uh, bad weather, which is always a challenge, especially around the Great Lakes, but also in Chicago. I think if you've ever driven around Chicago, I think it's a city ordinance. They really do. First of all, they have to have construction. I think it's a city law. There has to be. And I think and I think it's probably a city law or a state law that there has to be snow in Chicago. I don't know what it's about that. But it's we made it safely, and we, we, we had a great time. And we appreciate your prayer. Christy is speaking this morning up at uh, Heritage Baptist and Clark Summit. Uh, Heritage, as you could imagine, is her sending church, and so she is there, and then this Wednesday, we take her to Newark Airport, and she flies back to, uh, to Berlin. Um, after all these years, she's, this is 16 years for Christy in Germany. It, it doesn't get a lot easier for Daddy and, and Mommy, I'm sure. It doesn't get say goodbye to our little girl as she goes back, and uh, so appreciate your prayer on Wednesday that uh, we don't uh, cry like a blubbering idiot uh, with, with Christy, but uh, she goes back, and it's a little bit different. She's had some interns who aren't there anymore, and uh, she's had an intern that's helped her, Caleb, for a couple of years, and he's not there, and so it'll be, it'll be a little bit of a transition for her, but you, you know her. It's, it's home for her now, and uh, she... Uh, it really is amazing that God is using her in that uh, in that city and that in that country, and uh, it's amazing. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers for Christy. And uh, yeah, my goodness, if you ever get a chance to go visit her, she would love that. And I know some of you are are thinking and praying that through. Um, thanks too for praying for my health. Can I, can I have you uh, maybe jot some, something down or at least remember, not this week, but next week, I'm going to a different specialist for my lungs. They're actually sending me to a pulmonary oncologist. They're checking uh, for cancer. There's no indication that it is, so let's not freak out. And you need to tell me that all the time, Mel. Don't freak out. It's okay. you know. And there's no indication, but they're checking because of nodules and one doctor called it scar tissue in my lungs with this asthma thing. So I appreciate your prayers for that. Uh, but uh, God has, God's blessed. I, I, made, I made the trip fine and I'm here. How about that? So I, I do have a chair. No one, would want, no one would want Big Mel to fall over. No one would want that. And uh, it would take all of you to get me back up probably. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that the chair will keep me from falling uh, falling over because again that that would not be pretty and uh, yeah we that no one including including Mel would want would want that to happen. As Pastor Todd said, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter six. We've been in a study. I think probably Pastor Todd 
Next week, we'll give you the quiz, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to show you what the theme is of Ephesians, what our theme is of Ephesians, and that is lifestyles of the rich and godly. The book of Ephesians is, uh, is really, and, and we haven't been in Ephesians, so um, uh, let, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the background for a minute as we, as we get started. Ephesians is really an important New Testament letter. The Apostle Paul, with apostolic authority and writing by inspiration of God, is writing a letter <coughs> to the believers who are in the city of Ephesus. If you get a chance, sometime look it up in the last book of the Bible, Maps, the last book at Maps, excuse me, I, trying to be funny but um uh in the in the map maps ephesus was a, in this day was a large metropolitan cross-cultural city that is uh, what asia minor would be now in that day ephesus was uh, a hub of travel for uh, uh the mid-east for uh uh the, the, the Eastern cultures, but also of Europe. And, and so it just kind of like, if you would study Ephesus, there were roadways and highways that, that gathered, and it became, like my illustration of Chicago a few minutes ago, it became a very <coughs> strong hub for commerce and trade. Because of that, uh, Ephesus became a very large cross cultural city and historians tell us in fact it's it's kind of interesting because Ephesus isn't there any longer and 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 so they've had to do the art, art the digging and all of that kind of stuff but there were people there that were from Europe there were people there from Asia there were people there from the Palestine area and there it really was a very uh, uh, large and cross-cultural and economically strong city in those days. It was also a, it, it became a religious hub also. Historians tell us that the temple to the false god, goddess Diana, was there. And actually, if you were to study the background of Ephesus, that really was a false and immoral religion. Prostitution and sexual immorality were rampant in that city. Doctrinal confusion was rampant in that city. Okay, So that's a little bit about the background of Ephesus. And it's in that culture that the Apostle Paul writes this letter... And what we're suggesting to you is he's talking to the people that are there about the lifestyles of the rich and godly. And I know we've encouraged you, and I put it in the bulletin again for today, to remind you to try to read through Ephesians. It's real, it's a short letter, there's six chapters, read through it every week to get ready. But you'll find that uh, the book of Ephesians talks a lot about how to live. It's an incredibly practical book, how to live. The first three chapters are very doctrinal uh, in, in, it, in their approach, very serious, very heavy. We've gone through that. And as you can imagine, the description that I just gave you, that was pretty important for, for Paul to, to write to the believers about doctrinal purity. And so he writes... To them in the first three chapters, a lot about God, a lot about heaven, a lot about salvation, a lot about the, the salvation by grace, Ephesians chapter 2. And, and, and you, can, you can understand that. And he writes to them about the importance of this is what uh, you are to believe. And he's writing under inspiration of God. And by now, obviously, this book is uh, it's inspired. It's in our Bibles and we're studying it today. And so the doctrinal side of it, the riches that we have in Christ and the glory that we have in Christ, he's writing about that. But then he switches and he says, okay, your doctrine needs to impact how you live. 
And that was really, really, and really important in that culture. And, and let me suggest to you that that's really, 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 really important in our culture as well, that our doctrine needs to impact how we live. And so the book of Ephesians kind of makes a, a hard right turn in the second half of the book. And it becomes, incre- the first three chapters are incredibly doctrinal. <coughs> the last three chapters are incredibly practical. Chapter 4, he writes a lot about the church and how the church is to function, how the church is the body of Christ, but how all of us have a responsibility to serve the Lord and to be a part of the church. And that was God's intent. Folks, I'm smiling real big for the tape, and if it was the live streaming, uh, you know, that's a scary thing to think about with me up here, the live streaming thing. But, um, uh, you know, God is, is, is clearly pointing out, this is how you are to believe. But then he turns that corner and he says, this is how you're to live. This is how you're acting. He talks about the church, and he says that the church is never, never, ever intended to be a spectator sport. That we just show up, and that we go home, and that we can do what we want. That the church is a part of our lives, and needs to be a big part of our lives. And that all of us, by God's grace, need to be active and serve. And God gave us gifts, abilities from God to be able to do that. And we do that because of Christ, because we want to give back to Christ. And he writes a lot about the church. In chapter 5, he writes a lot about the family. He talks about the, the roles of husbands and wives. And, and I think as we look at Ephesians, folks, if I don't know if you're like this, but I'm like this. We tend to come to passages of Scripture and look at ourselves maybe a little bit too much and think, well, I'm not that, so we skip over it. And, and I think we need to understand in Ephesians that, that, that Paul, that, that by, by, again, by inspiration of God, is building, and, and he's talking about the church, and he talks about husbands and wives, and today we're going to talk about children, we're going to talk about parents, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about masters, we're going to talk about slaves, and it's easy to think, wait a minute, that doesn't have anything to do with me. Why did God put it in there then? And I think the reason for that is because all of those roles, all of those responsibilities are part of what God's doing in the world today in his church. And I think the thing that God wants us to understand is that Christianity, we'll talk about this in a little bit, is, is not a solo act. We're not lone rangers. You know, we're not individuals, that we're, but we're part of a community, and we're a part of this body of Christ that, that has all of these other people. So it might not be specifically me at this stage of my life, but it might be that God gives me an opportunity to minister to other people who are sitting near me or sitting around me or a part of the church as well. And I think that's what God uh, wants us to understand from Ephesians as well. So the lifestyles of the rich and godly. And that brings us to today. I put this on Facebook this week, but it's, you ever hear the phrase, it's a God thing, right? We all kind of throw that around. I've heard, I was just thinking, so I wrote some of them down. I've heard people say that uh, when God protected them from an accident. Boy, that was a God thing. I've heard people say that when God allowed them to go through an accident, but God protected them. Oh, that's, that's a God thing. Or when God blesses us or whatever. We tend to throw that phrase around about circumstances in life. Let me, uh, let me add to that this morning and just say that I think the focus of these nine verses in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're going to look at, I think what God's telling us is that life is a God thing. Remember our theme Again, Pastor Todd will probably come next week and ask you to remember. So I'm, I'm kind of helping you with that to get back in that. Lifestyles of the rich and godly. This is about living. This is about life. And so I think that this passage, which might be, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't really fit that at this stage of my life. I'm going to smile again real big and say, yes, you do. Because there's practical instructions that all of us need here. And we're going to talk about life being a God thing. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians 6. This uh, on the slide is from the New King James. Let me read it. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to go rapid fire through some things. And because of that, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna show you like a million slides today. But I, I, I think by doing that, you can maybe write down some definitions. You can write down some uh, other passages that we're going to refer to and so on. But let me read it. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read the first nine verses, and then we'll, we'll go through some slides together. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul has just finished talking about husbands and wives and Pastor Todd was very clear that his relationship, his, his illustration, his point of that is that Paul was saying, I am talking to you about Jesus Christ and the church. And so it's in that context then that chapter 6 starts. Ephesians 6, let me read the first nine verses. <clears throat> Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Verse 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the teaching and admonition of the Lord. Verse 5, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Verse 9, and you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. That's our text. Let me pray and we're going to dig in a little bit this morning. Father, I thank you for your word and I pray that your word would be alive and real and God, help us to see how it applies in our lives. Help us to see how it applies in our church. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the practicality of your word. And God, I just pray that you'd use your word in a mighty way in hearts and lives, including mine this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The outline uh, from this text is relatively simple. And I just highlighted a few things on the TVs if you can see that there's really four categories of people children fathers uh, bond servants we'll talk about what all of those things are and then masters i put on facebook thinking about today and so this this uh, passage this message applies to all of us first of all uh, if you have parents if you have parents it applies if you have Children, it applies. If you are a child, it applies. If you are a bond servant, we're going to talk about that. Do you realize that even Jesus referred to himself as a bond servant and that several apostles called themselves bond servants and even Christ told us that we are servants and are to be servants? So even that one is pretty practical. And then masters or bosses I'm not sure any one of us in here are slave owners. But that was the culture that was there. And this passage talks about that culture and talks about how all of those things are a reflection of, we'll talk about that, of God working in our lives. So if you have parents, if you have children, if you have employees, or if you are a boss, or if you have a boss, and we all do, the text talks about that, then there's instructions here for everyone, and we're going to talk about those practical instructions. If you look on the screen, and I read through it, and I tried to highlight those things, uh, not only in red on the PowerPoint screen, but also with my voice as I read through it, I think that as we go through that, there's one truth that pops, at least in my mind, which is why I came up with that theme, life is a God thing, because in every category 
of this outline that you have in your notes and I'm going to show you on the PowerPoint and all that. In every category, Paul makes sure that we understand this is about God. Your relationship to your parents, your relationship to your kids, your relationships to your bosses, your relationships to those with authority over you. You, If you are a, a boss and have employees, that God in your relationship with God impacts every area of our lives. And again, just notice, just kind of skim over that and notice the red in the passage that that is very, very clear from this passage. And, and I think here's the point that we're going to talk about in, for the next few minutes. And that is we must live for God in every area of our lives. How we raise our children, how we deal with our parents, how we live for God at work. All of those things uh, impact uh, others and are a demonstration of Christ living in our lives. It is a God thing. And so I think here's the thing from today's message that I want, I want me to get and I want all of us to get is that we must live for God in every area of our lives. I, I, think, I think here's what happens in life. I think part of our postmodern culture that we live in today, I'm, I'm just shooting straight with you, okay? And I, I tend to do it more than, than I want to or more than I believe that I should either. And, and, and I think culture today teaches us to compartmentalize our lives. I've been working with young people a long, long time, and I think if we notice life, I think, I think here's what we do. We go to church on Sunday, and we want a little bit of God in our lives, and so we carve out some time. You know, the researcher George Barna, who does a lot of research, says that the average... The average regular church attender in America goes to church one Sunday a month. It's almost as if we want a little bit of God. I spent some time talking with you about Christie, and if you ever go to Europe, here's these huge churches that are empty because they can be a member and not have to go to church anymore. And so God isn't a part of their lives. And I wonder if America isn't headed that way too. And I think America, Western culture has said that everything else is a priority. And I think what this passage is teaching us is God is saying that I'm the priority. My work needs to be the priority. And that uh, God, our relationship with God, living godly, impacts every area of our life. And I think that's what this passage so, is talking with us about. So let's dig in. We're going to. We're going to go rapid fire, and then we'll slow down at the end and make some application. And in, in the middle there, uh, there's a little chart, because I'm going to take a little bit of time <coughs> and talk about parents and talk about our res responsibility as parents. But we'll, t we'll, get, we'll, we'll get to that parenthesis when we come to it, okay? Here, here's four things. Instructions for children, instructions for fathers and parents, instructions for bond servants or workers, uh, and instructions for masters or leaders. Again, I, I don't know uh, if, if all of us think this way or not. I'm, again, I'm just shooting straight with you. We tend to look at passages and think, wait a minute, that's not me. Or we tend to look at a passage like this and, and think, wait a minute, Mel, you don't know my kids. You don't know my dad. You don't know my circumstances, and I, I will give you that. I don't. We tend to look at a passage like this and wait a minute and say, my life doesn't fit this. And we tend, humanly, we tend to look for exceptions. I think what, again, what this passage needs to tell us is that life should drive us to the scriptures. Instead of saying, looking at one passage and thinking, you know, that's not me, I'm off the hook. I think when life happens and by the grace of God, I, I've tried to do this in my ministry. By the grace of God, I try to do this with my own family, my own life. And that is when life happens, life needs to drive us to the scriptures. Because God gave us answers. He did. God gave us answers. And that we have instructions. We have practical instructions for life in his word. And... Um, yeah, 
I'm just going to shoot straight with you this morning. As parents, you know two of my kids, and this is not a yay Mel or yay Peggy thing. It is not. Uh, raising kids, folks, I hope you understand, is never a formula. It's never like, well, Mel said, but it needs to be. This is what God said. And I think that life and these practical things needs to teach us God's word has answers. And I think it's really, really, really important for us to look at life and look at this passage that way. So let's dig in. Instructions for children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may, well be, may, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Okay, there's basically two instructions. I put them, the red uh, type again on the PowerPoint slide. There's really two sets of instructions for children. Number one is to obey your parents. Number two is to honor them. Let's talk a little bit about what Paul's saying. First of all, this is really, really important in the passage. Okay, you understand that the New Testament was not originally written in English. Written The, the, the text that we have is, is in Greek. And so whenever you translate our... We were, we were at Travis's house this week, and our, our granddaughter is in eighth grade, and uh, for some reason, she just has this fantasy about Paris, her room, we stayed in her room, her room is decorated with thousands of Eiffel Towers, and I would knock them off, literally, and they, she has one that, an Eiffel Tower light that's connected to Alexa. I mean, there's all this stuff. But she's also taking French. And so I was telling my daughter this week, the very worst that I ever did academically, ever, was ninth grade French 1. So my, my granddaughter thought she could help me with French 1 this week. Uh, der, that's as far as I know, 1 and 2. And, and my grand, you know, she's, she's eighth grade trying to help Papa with, with French. And so you understand Right? That every language is, is different. The words aren't really the same when you translate it. We look at this and we think, okay, I'm off the hook. It's talking about little kids. The word children here is not that word. The word children is not the word for infant. It is not the word for baby. It is the word for offspring. So don't think that God is allowing us that our older, mature, aged adults. I don't think he's taking us off the hook. That's the word. It's not the word for baby. It's not the word for infant. It's the word for offspring. Children, offspring. Now, wait a minute. That raises some questions. There's a parallel passage. Maybe this is one of those that you could write down. <coughs> In Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, we'll talk about Colossians 3 a couple times. It says this. Children, obey your parents in all things. I, I talked to you about this before. I, I love that phrase in Scripture. A few years ago, uh, Christy and Todd and our family put together this little devotional called Convinced. And what we did with young people is help young people study the alls, the everys, the always of Scripture. Okay? In fact, uh, there's a little Bible study that's a chart that has, that has 30 of them listed that's been out there on our table for weeks. You're welcome to grab one. It's yellow. It asks some questions. And that is, how can we apply the alls, the everys, the always of Scripture to life? I will, again, smile real big and tell you, you know, this is one of the first verses that I, learned, that I taught my kids when they were little. Colossians 3. Children, obey your parents in all things. And I think it's important for us to understand, what, and again, why, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And again, I want us to concentrate this morning on the idea that God, our relationship with God, and our desire to please God is, impacts every area of our life. So in both of these phrases, let's talk a little bit about the idea of obedience. Remember Pastor Todd, we talked about that in, in Ephesians 5, we talked about this idea Ephesians 5 is a classic example of what I want to talk with you about, and that is 
we come to Ephesians chapter 5 and we get all hung up on submit and what that means. And, and we tend to look at our definition and then apply our definition to life instead of really taking uh, scriptures at face value. And that is what is God, what is God trying to say. I think obedience is one of those things too. I think obedience is one of those things that we tend to look at life like I'm going to salute and that means that somehow I got to obey, obey these evil tyrant slave masters and all of that. But the word obedience here really means to hear or to pay attention and then to habitually, which is why I underlined that in the, in the PowerPoint, to habitually follow the instructions because I've paid attention. There's an old English word, talk about language a little bit, that fits here. It's the word heed, H-E-E-D. We don't talk that way much. But the idea here of obedience is that we pay attention and that we heed or that we put that in practice in our lives because we paid attention. And I think here's a phrase in this passage also that helps bring clarity to this uh, uh, to this proposition, in the Lord. And it's interesting that it's not really the obedience that this phrase applies to, it's the person. And Paul is writing here that if you are a believer, or if your parents are a believer, then we have a responsibility to obey, to pay attention, to listen, and to follow their instructions. <coughs> and this is one of those this is one of those areas that, what, that, wait a minute, we tend to look at life, and, and, and I know, and I know that life can be incredibly difficult, and that we tend to look at life and think, well, wait a minute, Mel, you don't know my parents, you don't know my dad, you don't know my mom, and I get that. I have shared with you before some of the situations even that, that I went through. This is talking about an habitual obedience because it's what God wants, not necessarily saluting to a tyrant. Bible does say clearly that it's better to obey God than man, and I think it's important for us to understand that. There's all kinds of exceptions. I was thinking this week and thinking about a girl that was, that was in my youth group in Michigan. Because of this story, Judy came to Christ, and Judy was from a very devout, very strict religious family, but not really a Christian family at all. Judy came to Christ, and one of our youth leader couples in our church did that all the time with teenagers that came to Christ. And that is they took, Judy was a brand new believer, and they took her to a bookstore and bought her a brand new Bible. And she told me the story after that happened. She had this brand new Bible that uh, this couple bought, to, bought for her from our church. And she took it home that night and she walked in the door and her dad, who was very much religious but also very much, uh, yeah, a tyrant kind of guy, grabbed the Bible out of her hands and said, is this a Protestant Bible? Judy didn't know what to think. And so she said, well, I think so. They bought it uh, for me at... Uh, Baptist Church and he took that Bible and went over to their fireplace in their house and threw it in the fire and the Bible burned up a couple weeks went by and that's the kind of home and I get it that again that there's all kinds of exceptions a few weeks went by and Ron and Thelma this other couple wanted Judy to have a Bible she was a new believer and so they took her to a bookstore they they were kind of discipling her and helping her in her new faith and and there were other kids, brand new Christians that came to Christ. And they took her to another to a bookstore and bought her a different Bible. And she took that home. And again, the dad grabs the Bible from her and says, is this a Protestant Bible? And this is old school. This is a few years ago. And Judy, this brand new believer, looked at it and said, well, it says it's a Schofield Bible. So I don't think it is. And her dad let her keep it. Because he didn't know. Folks, I get it that there are, and that's just an illustration from my ministry, from my background. I get it that there are exceptions and there are circumstances that happen. 
And I think instead of saying, well, my situation doesn't fit or whatever, you know, or Mel, you don't understand, to realize that God does and that God wants us to go to his word and that God has given us his word for life. And I think it's important for us to understand it because of the fact that we live for God and that God is active in our lives. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, for this is right because paying attention to our parents and following their instructions is the right thing to do. And that's the, the word there for morally right or ethically right. And that's what Paul is saying. The second thing in this passage, and we'll do this quickly, is the idea of honor. And I think this maybe is where most of us would fit in. The idea of honor. And I don't think God ever... I don't think we ever get too old to quit honoring our parents. In fact, I'm not going to take time to tell you that, but I, this passage in my life has been very convicting to me. With my, life. My, my parents are both in heaven now. They're gone, and I thank God for my heritage, but I also will tell you that there were times that this was incredibly hard. Peggy's mom, this one year ago, passed away. There were times in our family it was incredibly hard to honor our parents. They're they're just, it's just hard. This is a word that means it's a disposition to treat with respect, to fix a high value to our parents. And it doesn't mean necessarily that we're saying that our parents <coughs> did everything right. My goodness, no. You know two of my kids, please don't ask them illustrations. They will tell you, believe me, they will tell you, and your opinion of me will even be greatly, greater, greatly shattered because of that. I messed up constantly, and if you think I'm, I'm bad, you ought to be with Peggy. I'm... <laughs> and I put an arrow on the slide back to the word lifestyle. Because of this, I think this disposition of respect it doesn't mean they did everything right, and it doesn't mean that, that everything that they do is perfect. My goodness, no. Don't ask my kids. But it means that we have a lifestyle of honoring our parents and treating them with kindness and reverence and courtesy. Now, I'm going to tell you that I don't know everything that this next phrase means. But I do know it's in the Bible because it says, look what's read now on this slide, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. If you were to go all the way back to where the Ten Commandments, children honor your parents, where that is listed in Exodus chapter 20, that's that first commandment, the first commandment that has a promise. All the way back, God built into the fabric of his world that God wants us, all of us, it's not the word for babies, it's not the word for infants, it's not the word for little kids, that God wants all of us to treat our parents with respect, to honor them. And then there's this promise. I don't know, I can't tell you that I know that Oh, this promise that, well, oh, my, oh my goodness, I'm going to kick into this, which means I'm going to live a long, long time. Uh, I've made my kids promise that, you know, they're not going to leave me in some nursing home or whatever. I'm not sure that that's all it's cracked up to be or whatever, or that dad is all cracked up that he should be either. But, um, but that promise, and I think you put this together, I think that there is a truth here that I want to highlight for a minute, and that is that long-term relationship that Paul is talking about here. So let me get brutally practical for a minute, okay? Don't you want a long-term, healthy, loving relationship with your kids and your family? Some of us are from families that That get-togethers for years are hard. 
I, uh, I have a brother, I don't even know where he is, disappeared for years and years. But I look at my life this week, my daughter's going back to Germany, my son, my three grandkids are in Iowa, and I get to come back and hang out with Todd and his family and his kids. I'll tell you something, I want a long-term relationship with my kids. My relationship with my dad and mom wasn't all that great. And I look at my kids and I want to have a good relationship. I want them, is it okay? Shoot straight, is that okay? I want them to like me. I want them to respect me for a long, long time. But okay, say. I want to have a great relationship with my kids. I want to have a great relationship with my grandkids. So I'm going to invest in them. I am. And I'm going to invest in them in the Lord because I want them to see a consistent, godly life in my life. I want them to see that, uh, that Dad, that Papa Mel, I want them to see that, that God is what's most important for me and that I'm going to live my life for God, and, I, and because of that, then that's the glue that as the kids grow up, that relationship with God, that in the Lord thing, that's the thing that creates that long-term honor and respect. Does that make sense? The second thing, quickly, and we'll tie these two together, is instructions for fathers or parents. And you fathers, verse 4, says, Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This is... Uh, Verse that we hear a lot. We do. We talk about this a lot. The nurture and admonition of the Lord. Verse. In this passage, it's also interesting, the language. I'm not trying, I, I, I'm certainly not this Greek scholar or whatever, but here's another one that's really, really interesting in this passage. And that's the word fathers. Now, in the text, it is a masculine word. But it doesn't necessarily imply males only. In fact, there's a verse in the New Testament talking about how, some of you will remember the story, that Moses' parents, that when Moses in the Old Testament and Exodus, when, or in the Old Testament when Moses was born, there was a, a decree that all the baby boys were going to die, right? And Moses' parents, his parents hid him in the bulrushes. And then God ultimately saved Moses, and Moses became one of the leaders of the nation of Egypt. And, and all of that, you know the story, and even of the nation of, of Israel and helping them get out of Egypt. And so that's the word in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. So this is one of those things that says, okay, moms, the, God isn't letting you off the hook. This isn't necessarily just a parent, it's just a father thing, although dads... I think it's important for us to understand that we have a huge responsibility here. Here's another culture thing. I think culture has taught men today. I think culture has taught men today. My job is to be the, is to be the breadwinner. My job is to get up in the morning, take my lunchbox, kiss, kiss the wife, kiss the babies, go off to work, and my, my job is to be outside of the home making the money, which means then I'm going to come home at night with an empty lunchbox, which means then that I deserve the, the easy chair, I deserve the remote, and honey, would you get me a soda? I worked hard all day. And culture has taught us that as men, we have the... We can take our hands off of our kids or take our hands off of our home. That is not what the Bible teaches us at all. In fact, often in Eastern culture, often in biblical culture, men were incredibly active. The, the kids were often out with the men. And they learned the skills. They learned the, the trades. They learned education from their fathers. And so in saying that, there is a pointed point here. Pointed point? There is a point here. And that is, it's talking to all of us, I think, as parents, but maybe especially fathers. And fathers, I think it's time to ratchet up our game and to realize that our kids need our hands-on in the instruction and discipline of the Lord that this passage talks about. 
Colossians, I told you we talk about this passage a little bit, a parallel passage in Colossians. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children <coughs> lest they become discouraged. The word discouraged there means to irritate or exasperate. And I think it's, or, or even with negativity or with our negativity, our temper. I, I grew up in a home where my dad... I've told you this before, was literally dominated by temper. And you never knew. You never knew what would set him off. And times, there were times that he was this kind, loving man. But there were times that it was a terror. And I understand that. And there are, I think, some instructions here for that. Fathers or parents, do not provoke. Do not exasperate them by our negativity, by our temper, whatever, lest they become discouraged. It's a, it's a terrible thing if our kids grow up and they lose heart. I think if you look at this passage, I think the idea here is about being discouraged or to lose heart, is that they lose heart spiritually. This, this is a hard message because I don't want you to think that this is some yay Mel speech today. I thank God for our kids. Christy, Todd, and Travis, I thank God. It's a grace. It is. It's the grace of God. Believe me. Again, I don't want you to ask them, but you could ask them. I messed up so much in raising my kids, but they're all living for God, and they're all serving God, right? And I want that so much for my grandkids, and I don't want them to lose heart. I don't want them to get discouraged spiritually. And I don't want them to walk away from the things that I think are important. That'd be terrible. And so this is a very practical thing. I want that whole lifetime that, that, you're, that you may live long upon the earth, I want a long-term, special loving relationship with my kids and my grandkids and I can't tell you what a what a blessing it is to come to church every Sunday morning and work with my kid that's an amazing thing to travel to Germany and see how God's using my daughter to travel to Iowa and see how God's using my son that's an amazing thing I can't tell you what a blessing that is to realize that 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 is without a doubt a God thing that the relationship, the glue in those relationships is, is, is God. And it is that long-term thing. I, I don't want them to get angry and walk away. I don't want them to get discouraged and lose heart. I don't want that deep... See, I want them to go on for God over the long haul. And that's what Paul is saying here. By bringing them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The discipline and instruction of the Lord to bring them up. And I think it's important to understand the intentionality here in this passage. To be intentional about our purpose. <coughs> that if you're a parent here today, or if you're a church member here, we have a responsibility that as well. We'll talk about that in just a second. And that is that we have that responsibility to help our kids grow in God. That we want them to grow up and live for, live for God. And I love the, how God builds one precept on another in the Word of God. And He does that here in Ephesians. And, and sometime, take a look back at Ephesians chapter 4, especially where it talks there about the church. And it uses that almost the same language, that they no longer would be children, but they would grow up into Him who's Christ. And so the thought here is that one of the things that is so important about parenting, parenting is hard. It really is, and I know that there's a lot of factors. I get it that there's a lot of factors. But folks, please hear me. We don't have to do this alone. That we have an almighty God. We have a manual, God with us. That we have His resources of the church, of the Word of God. And that God can help us in the church. And Ephesians, just this one book, talks about parents, bring up your kids and nurture and admonition of the Lord. But also He talks to the church that they might grow up and be no longer children. One of the things I think as parents is that, and I'm going to do this quickly, and honestly, we're, we're winding down here, and we'll, we'll do this quickly. I'm not going to take forever. Is that we've got to ask ourselves as parents, what do we want for our kids? 
I'm not here, again, this is not the Mel Walker show day. It's not that way at all. But um, yeah, I wrote, I wrote this book a year or so ago. And notice that that phrase is on the back of this book, Growing on, going, going on Forgotten. Because I wanted to ask parents. And so when that book first came out, you'll remember that we did the mentoring seminar here a few months ago. But I did seminars in, in a year's time in nine different um, cities, mostly in, here in the East, nine different churches, about that book. And I met on Saturdays with a whole bunch of Christian parents. I'm just illustrating my point here for a minute. And every seminar that I did on that book, I would gather the parents. Sometimes there were hundreds. Sometimes there were 15 or 20 Christian parents in the room. And uh, I, would, I would start by the question, what do you want for your kids? And then I would be quiet for a while and let parents tell me what they wanted for their kids. Do you ever have anybody ask you that question? Parents, what do you want for your kids? Let me tell you the top four answers. Number one, I want my, I want my kid to be happy. That's fair, right? Number two, I want my kid to be successful. That's where it gets a little iffy. Folks, I would much rather have my kid be godly than successful in the eyes of the world. I want my kid to have enough money to be able to live on. I want my kid to have a, I want to have a lasting relationship with, loving relationship with my kid. And I get that. This passage talks specifically about that. What do we want for our kids? I think this passage is saying this, is what we want for them is to grow up and go on for God. Because that's how God is honored in this parenting thing. The, off to the side there, you have this little chart. I'm going to do... I'm going to give you four quick principles, not talk about them a whole lot, about parenting from the Word of God. Number one, a parent's purpose is to bring our kids up to live for God. If you're a Christian parent, that is what God put you here on this earth to do. Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. The promise of that passage, and I think that that's true in all kinds of areas of life. I love the passage of De in Deuteronomy 6. Just write that reference down and sometimes read that. And it talks about that the whole nation of Israel can do that, but we bring up our kids by, by, by going through life with them and showing them that God's word relates to life today. Number two, parents, if you're a parent, please hear me on this when God is there for you. I love Psalm 68. It says that God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widows. I love the stories in the Word of God, frankly. I, I do, where God's grace applies even in broken, dysfunctional families. And God is there for you. God doesn't leave us here without hope. God doesn't leave us here without help. Number three, there's always hope for people for, from dysfunctional and broken families. The, I... I that is so true, and it's so important that we understand that. That there's always hope for people from dysfunctional families. I love the story. You can jot it down. It's Acts 16, <coughs> and then 2 Timothy. The story of Timothy in the Bible. From a dysfunctional family, and yet God used him. Folks, let me give you a... I, I know I've got to hurry and be, and, and be done here, but when Paul wrote First and Second Timothy in the Bible, Timothy was a pastor in the church in Ephesus, the town that we're talking about. Timothy was from a dysfunctional, cross-cultural family. Folks, God used him because of that background. He is a kid that grew up and went on for God. And, and 2 Timothy 1 talks about Timothy's genuine faith. That, parents, isn't that what we want for our kids? That they'll grow up, that their faith will be real. That their faith will be real as they go through life. And because of that, then, we can have that long-term relationship centered around things of God and His work with our kids. And I, and I love that part of the story. And then number four, God never intended parenting to be this solo act where we have to do it on our own. And I just, 
jotted some things down. You can jot these things down. Uh, you know, God provided the resources of the church. Ephesians 4, I talked with you about that. God gave us his word. Remember I said a couple times that life should drive you to the word of God. There's lots of times in life with kids, with parents, with families, with relationships that we don't have a clue what to do. We don't have a clue what to say. We have the resource of the word of God. And that one other thing, I think it's important about how we don't have to do this alone. And that is by God, God's church, folks, God's church, not just Wyoming Valley Church, but I believe this with all my heart about Wyoming Valley Church, is that the resources that God provides in His church are incredible. One of those is, do you realize that in His church are, 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 is a place where you can find godly mentors, Titus Titus chapter 2. People who love God, people who are older than you, that can give you advice, that can give you counsel, that can point you to the scriptures. Scriptures are also, um, or the church is also the place where you could find godly peers. I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Bible. They're always mentioned together, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's one of the reasons why I love youth ministry is that kids in church can find that there are other kids who love God and want to live for God too. Now, I know it didn't take a lot of, I mean, it took a lot of time talking about the beginning of that. And we'll turn the corner and then finish this really quickly. But folks, if you are a parent or if you're, um, for all of us, in a family situation, let me clearly say this again. I hope that life drives us to the scriptures. God's word has practical helps. And I love the fact that God never left us here to flounder, that we have the word of God, we have the resources from God, that we can live the way God wants us to live. Life is a God thing. There's two other things, and I'm done. We're going to do this really quickly. Number one is bondservant. Remember I mentioned in that passage, in this culture, there were slaves. And Paul writes to bond servants. The idea of that word is that you are a slave, not like racially or culturally like is in America, but it was a class of people that were slaves for the rest of their lives. We tend to look at the Bible and think, oh my goodness, that's a, uh, a put-down word. No, it's not. Bond servant, the fact that we're a slave, Christ called himself that. They're apostles that are there. Paul, Timothy, James, Peter, all describe themselves as being bondservants of Christ. So in saying all of that, bondservant, look at, I just highlighted these words, these, these phrases in this passage to say this again, that even that, what we do, how we live in our day-to-day -day lives is a God thing. And I want to point out one thing about all of this. I think in that culture, it was pretty easy for them, bondservants, slaves, to look at life and say, hey, that's not fair. I, didn't, I don't deserve to be in this situation. Well, lots of times in life, life isn't fair. But I think, again, if you look at all of those things, you realize that God has a grand purpose even when things aren't fair. And his grand purpose is eternity. His grand purpose is that God may use you and God may give you the opportunity to minister to others because of what you've gone through in your life. And I think that that's a principle that comes out in that passage. And it's, I think it's important in reading through that, again, I highlighted some things, is, is this. We're living for eternity. It's very easy for us to get caught up in circumstances and think how hard this is. God's purpose is bigger than that. And God's purpose is that, that long-term relationship we want with God, that long-term relationship that we want with our family members, but also eternity. Yeah, life isn't fair sometimes. And I think the servants understood that, but Paul wanted them to say, hey, God is in that too. And then there's one more. Verse 9 says this, And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up, threatening, knowing, listen what it says here, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, 
and there's no partiality with him. You know, I think as Paul was writing this letter to the masters, the bosses who were in Ephesus and they had slaves, I think Paul was saying this, don't forget, you live, we all live under authority. He says this, knowing that your own master, capital M, talking about God is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. In other words, I think, I think the people got it. I think here is the thing. We all need to live for God. This is all about God. Life is a God thing. And God has this grand purpose. And I know that there was a lot of very practical instructions here. But I think I'll come back. I think this passage drives us back to where we started. And that is God wants us to live for him in every aspect of our lives. Folks, if you're, yeah, there, there are times that, that all of us are in tough situations. I think what we learn from this is that God, life can drive us back to the, to the scriptures and we need to do that. But that God has a grand purpose and what God's purpose for us is, is that we would live for him in all areas of our lives because of eternity because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Thanks for listening. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you've taught us this morning. There's a lot in these nine verses, and I'm sure, I'm, I'm positive that uh, we didn't do justice for these things. But Father, help us to see the practicality of the scriptures. Not just to look at one passage and think, well, I'm off the hook because I don't fit there, but to realize that uh, the scriptures are incredibly packed. All scriptures given by inspiration of God, Paul wrote, and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God, the person of God, might be mature, completely furnished to all good works, what God would have us to do. Father, that we would, and that our kids would, grow up to go on for God. Father, I thank you for this passage, and I thank you how in the context of Ephesians, you build on things. God, I, I thank you for our church, and I thank you for the individuals that are represented here today. And God, in all of our lives, help us to see that your hand is there and that you want us to live for God in every aspect of our lives. Father, help us to learn that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, folks. Thank you very much. Appreciate your patience. And, uh, and we're done. See you Wednesday night. I <clears> Thank <throat>